All right. So, I'm excited to be back in the pulpit. We had a great month in October. The theme was, if we could see God doing it over there, we can believe that He could do it here, right? And uh, I, I think, you know, we just had a, a great month of seeing what God's doing around the world. And I think, periodically, that's really healthy to realize the kingdom of Jesus is way bigger than just Northview, right? We can kind of get a little myopic and in our own bubble and think that's big stuff and we're the cat's meow and, you know, this is the only thing going... And when you really realize what's going on, it's far huger than uh, we could ever really get our hands around. So that part's exciting. Um, And so this morning, we're going to start a new series. And to get us thinking in the same direction this morning, I'd like to ask you the question, what amazes you? Right? Just stop for a second. Think. We're all wired differently. We all have, you know, different personalities and different strengths and all that kind of stuff, strength finders and, you know, all that sort of deal. But if I asked you this morning, what amazes you? Uh, some other ways you could say it. What, what are you in awe of? What do you just go, whoa, right? What uh, captures you? What, what tends to um, hold your attention? What's so intriguing that it captivates your emotional energy? In other words, when you're left by yourself and you're, you've got your thoughts and you can go wherever you want to go to, where do your thoughts go? What, what grabs you? Your thoughts, your time, your effort. And the other side of that question is, okay, in, we all have daydreams, right? If you could have it all, right? If you could have it all, what would it be? If you could have it all, if you had the world according to you, what would it be? And then, would it be enough? Okay. So I'm going to do something this morning that uh, is on the level of rebellion and treason. All right. Just want you to know that before I do it. I want you to watch a clip, and it's a clip of Tom Brady. All right. The most beloved person in the Northwest. And, um, but I want you to listen with this idea of awe and listen to what he says, would you? So watch the clip, and then I'll come back. Can you go out to restaurant? I have the energy to deal with. Okay? But now I have to face on. Sometimes I don't feel like that. Guy, you seem a bit the reluctant star. Well, the problem is, is you can't have one without the other. You can't have a football team and not the other stuff. So, in a lot of ways, I've created this myself. <laughs> it's what you always wanted. <laughs> You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. The most eligible bachelor in America. Well, it's very flattering. Um, but at the same time, I don't think I sleep any better at night. Be bad. No way. Do you mean like alone or not alone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is... Me, I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I love playing football. I love being the quarterback for this team. And But at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. Can you go after that? Isn't that an interesting admission? There's got to be more than this. Now, 
That's an older clip. He now has five Super Bowl rings. He's got probably one of the most beautiful women in the world as his wife. But the question of, is that enough? And his statement, there has to be more than this. There has to be something else besides this. And we've not just heard that from him. Uh, Elvis said the same thing. Uh, Michael Jordan said the same thing. I mean, people who have hit the epitome of what we would say is the top get there and go, is this all there is? Okay? They have accomplished what holds us in awe, but when they get there and look over the other side, they're going, is this really all there is? And in the interview, it says, well, what is it? And he says, I wish somebody would tell me. Right? I wish somebody would tell me. And I'm thinking, I'll tell you, Tom. Right? <laughs> I could tell you. But it sets off, uh, a, it's a powerful question. So we're going to begin a new series today. You can see there up on the screen called Awe. Right? And uh, we're going to walk through this idea of awe. We're going to, um, it, it's a great season to do this. Right? We're heading into what's called the holiday season. Right? And so we're coming up on Thanksgiving and Christmas and uh, those are, are seasons of awe, especially with children. Uh, but not just children. Adults as well are swept up in what's called the holiday spirit. I mean, this morning, um, <clears throat> you know, to kick it all off, it was snowing. And I, I don't care how you feel about it. I was loving it. I'm out sitting outside going, <laughs> the Wisconsin boy in me was just going crazy. Because there's just something magical about when it snows. It's just, you know, no wind. It's coming down. It's just so pretty. And I was like, oh, this just starts the whole thing. So I was grateful for that this morning. But it's a wonderful season. It's a season of wonderment. It's a season of awe. And uh, we, as humans, have an enormous capacity for awe. There are a lot of things that we get swept up into and caught by. Uh, Paul David Tripp uh, is an author I'm going to introduce you in just a second. Uh, he says it, it's like we're hardwired for it. Okay? And if you want to take this further, if you want to go along with me, if you want to think about it a, a little deeper and spend some more time on it, I'd like to uh, mention a book to you. And it's, it's by Paul David Tripp. Paul David Tripp, is a, uh, he did a, a marriage counseling uh, seminar. We ran it here at the church. And a number of you in it, Shannon, Lisa, and David and Susan ran it. Uh, so he's familiar to us. But he's, he's got a book and the title's Awe. Okay? That's profound, right? And, uh, and you can get it uh, on Amazon. It's available. But uh, I want to make you aware of it that if you want to, you can read along. So let's pray this morning. And then we'll see where this goes and... Uh, walk together in a state of awe, all right? Let's pray. Father, as we come this morning, I'm hoping to capture my friend's attention uh, about this idea of awe with you. And I pray that you will roll this out. I'm asking that you will kickstart ideas, you'll kickstart emotions, that you'll kickstart thinking uh, and how we get caught up in awe with you and how other things steal that. And so we're going to take some time to explore this uh, Thank you for what Paul David Tripp put together and thanks for him salting. I'm going to uh, use some other stuff as well, but he's uh, primarily really kicked the idea in my mind. and So I want to give credit to him and his thoughts that he put into the book. And Lord, we, we give that to you this morning. As we come into this season known as the holidays, as we come towards the event we know as Christmas, Lord, we seek to be caught up in your awe and we ask for that favor in your name. Amen. All right. So, I can't get the stand the right height here. All right, there we go. 
Let's start this morning. John read this scripture to us when we were um, doing worship. And I'm using this version in NIV. Uh, It's familiar to us. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. It says they have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes on into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. And you are now all sufficiently in awe, right? Oh, no, kind of like it's lights on and the screen's white and the words are black. And here's one of the problems we have when we do this is that we tend to sometimes take things out of context. It doesn't connect to us, right? We're sitting there going, eh, it's not working. And a lot of times why it's not working is because we don't get the context right. The context of these words were probably not written in this kind of setting. They were probably written on the top of a castle in Jerusalem by King David, looking at the night sky or having just recently pondered and looked at the night sky and he was caught up in what he saw was in the creation and then he pens these, pens these words. So let's, if you allow me, let's change the format a little bit. I'm going to go down here and... Uh, we're going to dim the lights, all right? So don't freak out. It's all cool. We're going to dim the lights. So shut them down, Dave. Thank you, sir. And let's shift to this. Stop for a minute. When's the last time you saw the stars? When's the last time you really looked? Let me read those words to you again in this setting. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. And yet their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. When I was a boy, and yes, I'm that old, there were no yard lights, right? There were no... um, I can't figure out how to shut this thing off. There we go. Hang on here. Technology is us. There we go. Thank you. And we used to sit and look at the sky like this. And in our backyard, we'd lay in our sleeping bags. And we'd watch the Big Dipper rotate around the silo over by the barn. And it was an amazing thing to lay there realizing that the planet you were on was moving even as you laid there. You know, when you think about it, kids today don't see this. When you walk out in Seattle, you might see a star but you wouldn't pay much attention to it, right? Maybe the thing that catches our attention the most is the moon, but we don't see the whole canopy of the heavens displayed like we used to because man's light, what we call light pollution, has really drowned out God's light. And as a result of that, we are no longer in awe. Dave, would you turn the lights back up? 
You ever been at Chelan or maybe on a ridge in Montana or maybe the desert of Arizona or Nevada or maybe a small village in the Gulf or the um, Baja of California? There's no lights out there. And you get to see the most spectacular sight when you're doing that. Maybe fishing up in Canada, Kirk, right? The awesomeness of the universe is an incredible thing. But it gets veiled from us with our stuff. We don't really notice it anymore. And therefore, we're not uh, impressed or in awe of the universe, nor are we impressed or in awe with the God who made it. And it's a very insightful metaphor. Our stuff overshadowing God's stuff. And we can just easily forget how awesome the universe is, this thing we live in called the universe. You're sitting there this morning and you say, well, how awesome is the universe? Well, let me just scrape the surface this morning. I'm by no means a scientist, but I've done a lot of reading in the intelligent design part. And uh, let's just scrape the surface and look at some things, a few things that might reveal the incredible nature of our universe that we live in. I'm going to shoot this up on the screen for you. This here is a chart. Um, It's talking about the fine-tuning of the universe, and it's talking about uh, the uh, universal constants or the physical constants that make the universe what it is. Now, Kayla said, I have to put this in English, all right? Because she says, Dad, nobody's going to get what you're talking about. So let me put this in English as we would understand it in Seattle. In Seattle, we have weather, right? We are weather wimps in Seattle, okay? We are mad that it rains all winter, so oh, it was only sunny, only sunny, so, and it turns sunny. But the first day it goes over 85, what do we say? It's too hot, right? And, and we're complaining about it. Then it swings and goes the other way. What do we say? It's too cold, right? We, we have a certain parameter in Seattle that we like, 74, right? Right there. And if it varies much out that, we suddenly are feeling uncomfortable. In other words, we have to live within some parameters. You came this morning in a vehicle. That vehicle has tolerances in the engine with the rings and the pistons and the crankshaft and the valves. There are tolerances that it has to operate within. And if it operates outside of those um, tolerances, you suddenly have to go to the mechanic. And you have to go to the garage to get your car fixed because it violated those tolerances. Does that make sense? So just like that, the universe operates within these tolerances. And if it varies much outside of it, the whole thing doesn't work. So if you're looking at this, how fine-tuned is it? Like in an engine, uh, some of you work for Boeing. And so you're very aware of, you know, tolerances within the thousands, right? Uh, maybe the ten thousandths of tolerance of an inch. Okay, how fine-tuned is actually the universe? Well, if you look at these constants, for example, the ratio of electrons to protons is one to the ten to the thirty-seventh power. If you look at the ratio of electromagnetic, electromagnetic force, we call that gravity, right? That's a one to ten to the fortieth power. Expansion rate of the universe, how fine-tuned is that? One to ten to the fifty-fifth power. Mass density of the universe. Uh, by the way, in, in the universe, uh, only 4% of it is physical matter. 
96% of it is stuff that you can't see. Okay? It's called black matter. And they know it exists, but they can't figure out what it is. It's like something holds it all together. Right? Then you have the cosmological constant, 1 to 10 to 120th power. Right? What, is, what is that? What are we talking about here? Well, let's just take the first one, the 10 to the 37th power, and try and give a picture of what that would be like so we can put that. How fine a tuning is that? Okay, what that means is that if you took the continental United States, so you go from Seattle to New York to Miami to San Diego and back to Seattle, took the entire continental United States, and you filled it with coins, dimes, right? Filled it with dimes. And you filled it to the moon. That's 239,000 miles of dimes. Right? Think about continental United States, fill it with dimes, take it all the way to the moon. That's a lot of dimes. For example, our national debt, which is 14 trillion, is the continental United States filled with dimes to about two feet. All right? So here in this one, 10 to the 37th power, you have the continental United States filled with dimes up to the moon, 239,000 miles. Now, to get to 10 to the 37th power, you need to have a billion of those. Not one, not a hundred, not a thousand, not a million, but a billion continental United States filled with dimes up to the moon. Then you take one dime, paint it red, okay? Take that dime, chuck it into the middle of that whole thing. Take somebody, blindfold them, spin them around ten times, send them into the pile, and the odds that they would pick the one red dime is 10 to the 37th power. Okay? Now, when you understand that, you realize the universe is running on that fine level of a tune. Okay? It's an amazing thing. Now, here's what I got told this morning, and some of us are scientists and have gone way farther. Once you get past 10 to the 40th power, which all of these are that you see up on the screen, it's basically there's no chance involved. It had to happen on purpose. Right? Because there's no chance involved with it. Because it's so infinitesimally small that it had to happen. It says, uh, by the way, if you want to follow this further, uh, Dr. Hugh Ross is the person who has put this together and he's uh, authored a book called The Creator and the Cosmos. So if you want to take that further, just jot that down in your phone and you can take that Dr. Hugh Ross, The Creator and the Cosmos. Uh, he's talking about there. All right, another uh, finely tuned constant is the strong nuclear force. Nuclear force is what we would know that holds the atoms together, right? You got neutrons and protons and electrons and, and they're flying around. And then beneath that you got quarks and, and all of that kind of stuff. The sun burns by fusing hydrogen and the higher elements together. When two hydrogen atoms fuse, 0.07% of the mass of the hydrogen is converted into energy. Okay? So don't get lost in it. Just hydrogen burns, the sun's burning, it burns hydrogen atoms. When it burns, it fuses them. And when that happens, 0.7% of that turns into energy. All right, why is that important? Well, hydrogen, uh, the, if the amount of the matter converted were slightly smaller, just 0.6%, right? Instead of 0.7, 0.6%. 
A proton would not bond to a neutron and the universe would consist only of hydrogen. With no heavy elements, there would be no rocky planets, no life, uh, no us. Okay? That measure, if it varied that much, none of what we understand would exist. On the other hand, if the amount of matter converted were slightly larger, 0.8%, just one tick above 7 Okay, so we went one tick below, now one tick above. Fusion would happen so readily and rapidly that no hydrogen would have survived from the beginning of the universe. And again, there would be no solar systems and no life. So the number must lie exactly between 0.6 and 0.8. It has to, or this doesn't exist. And the number lands exactly at 0.7. It's an incredible, incredible tuning. Another uh, article that comes from Newsweek magazine, uh, this was an MSN this week, uh, highlighted that the universe should not actually exist as we know it. And the reason they say that is they've been measuring and they've become aware of uh, matter and antimatter and all that kind of stuff. And so the hypothesis is simply this. There has to be more matter protons than antimatter protons because when they both hit, they cancel each other out. And since there's something, right? We'd agree there's something. There's something. Then there has to be more of the positive than of the negative. Or the universe wouldn't be able to survive. These scientists working, and they're working for CERN and working for, uh, what's the other one? BASE, Baron, Anti-Baron Symmetry Experiment. So some of you follow that stuff and you know what those acronyms mean. They, they did these measurements, and the measurements they have now today are 350 times more precise than they've ever been able to do before. And so they went to test this, and they uh, collected these, and they uh, measured them uh, exactly. And what they found out is that the measurement for both was exactly equal. Exactly equal. And they're going, that can't be. There has to be a tip somehow in, in how this works. So here's what they say about that. He says, All of our observations find a complete symmetry between matter and antimatter, which is why the universe should not actually exist. In, this, uh, in the study, they used the antiprotons that I talked about. And he says this, After finding no asymmetry between particles and antiparticles, the researchers, researchers, I have to get that word out, will now work to develop an even higher precision of measurements of protons and antiprotons to improve the latest finding. An asymmetry must exist here somewhere, but we simply do not understand where the difference is. What is the source of the symmetry break? This guy asked. And what he's saying is, this is not supposed to be this way. It shouldn't stick together. The universe should not operate the way it does, and yet it does. And they're baffled by the whole thing. Here's the point. That's pretty awesome. You sitting in that chair this morning holding together is pretty awesome. Okay? The universe that we're spinning around in right now, in the galaxy, we're, it's pretty, we are placed exactly in the right place, in the right part of the solar system, on a wing, out in an arm that's a void of most of the destructive stuff going on in the galaxy, and we happen to be exactly in the spot with the exact distance from the sun so we don't burn up or we don't freeze to death with the exact planetary motions that go around not just our planet but the other planets to keep it all in balance. 
It's awesome. It's awe-inspiring. But here's what happens. Most of the time we lack awe because we don't know what we don't know. And even when we do get a glimpse, we're struck with awe. When we are struck with awe, the magnitude uh, and the mysteries and the design of the universe, we can forget. We can have what uh, David Tripp calls awe amnesia. Right? We're awed for a while, but then something else grabbed our fancy and we kind of walk away from it. And the thought here this morning is if we're in awe of what's been made, if this morning got your attention, you went, wow, that's incredible. If we're in awe of what's been made, wouldn't it make sense to be in awe of the one who made it? Right? That this didn't just happen, that all those constants that are past 10 to the 40th power mean that they were absolutely placed on purpose? There was a divine intelligence that created the universe and we should be not only in awe of that design but awe in the one who made it. Let me show you a couple scriptures that talk this way. Uh, you've heard these before but let's look at them again now with what I covered. Isaiah 46 says this, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. transgressors. Remember the former things of old for I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Look at what he says in uh, Isaiah 48. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel whom I called. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth. My right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. God says, my right hand took and I threw out the heavens. The word says, he spoke it into existence. Let there be light. And then there was light. Amazing, amazing claims of God. I'm going to ask the uh, communion servers to come forward at this point. So guys, if you come and service them. By the way, if um, you uh, can't do gluten, we have gluten-free wafers in the back. Please just get up. Go get them. It's not a big deal. We'll, we'll let you stay here. All right? But uh, as you come forward for communion, uh, we'll do that. What I'd like to do, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. So John, team, come on up. Um, what I want to do to you is uh, read another scripture to you while communion's being passed out. So just, it's coming your way. You know how this works. Don't be impressed by the communion servers, right? Although you've got a kick and beard there, Jeff. I'm impressed Thank you. Ho, ho. <laughs> If you're uh, reading through the Bible with us, and a number of you are, and a number of you have given me reports that you're doing really good this year and you're going to finish on time. I talked to one gal in first service who was ecstatic. It's the first time in her life, she's a middle-aged adult, first time in her life she's ever read through the entire Bible. She's just going wonkers with it. I'm on track. I'm in Corinthians. I'm going to make it. I, I chaptered out the verses. I'm going to make it. So if you're tracking with us, um, we're reading through. I just finished Revelation. Right, So I'm, I'm done for the year. So what I did was I always flounder from now to the first of the year because I don't know what to do. So I started reading through the Gospels again, right? Just to re-get the story. But what I'd like to do is read for, for you from uh, Revelations chapter 4. So kind of don't watch what's going around you and, and that kind of stuff. But I want to take you back to this picture. And I want you to imagine a scene in heaven. All right, that 
takes place in this chapter. Go with your mind, go with your imagination with me on this and let me read as we consider coming to communion this morning as we're kicking off this uh, topic this month on awe. This is the Apostle John. He's on the island of Patmos. He's on a desert barren rock in the middle of Mediterranean. And it says this, he was caught up into heaven. He says, After this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. And these are the seven spirits of God. And also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third was like the face of a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne, and they worship Him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. When we think of awe this morning, and we come to communion, is this just a tradition? Just something we always do? Or does this inspire awe because you know who did it? When was the last time you felt the awe of the Lord? Do you remember when you were first a believer? Remember that? Go back there. Some of us, that's a short time. Some of that's a long time. You remember how you were swept up in awe of who He was and what He had done? We're going to explore this topic this month as we come into the holiday season, and my prayer is that God will recapture our hearts with awe of Him. Jesus said, this is my body. It was broken for you. He says, eat this in memory of me. Then He took the cup. And He said, this is my blood. He said, this has been shed. Your sins are covered because of His sacrifice for us. That's awesome. He says, drink this in memory of me. Let's pray. Father, thanks for walking through this. And this morning, as we think about 
awe and who you are and being caught up. Most of the time we miss it and we know it. Or we get it, we get it, we got it, we lost it. We're pretty erratic that way. We know it. But I want to pray this month that you would open up the windows of heaven and reacquaint us with your awe. Lord, and whether it's in testimony, whether it's in something you do, whether it's in our seeing you in a way we haven't seen you before, whether it's you highlighting something that we hadn't noticed, I want to pray that it comes alive. I want to pray that we would be a people that are filled with awe and that our worship would come from that source. I want to pray you'd refresh in us with awe. I want to pray you'd encourage us with awe. I want to pray that you remind us of awe and who you are. And may this series never leave us the same. And we seek you for that in your name. Amen.